staying dead. John Sung, who would one day become one of China's greatest evangelists, had a dream. And in this dream, he saw himself lying in a casket, and God seemed to say to him, John Sung is dead, dead to self, but alive to Christ. But the dream didn't stop there. For soon, the corpse began to stir. And as it moved, John sensed the angels begin to weep. And so he cried out. He said, don't weep, angels. I will remain dead to the world and, alive and live only for Christ. My friends, when we become surrendered to Jesus, it's a hard thing. But once we become surrendered to Jesus, are we once surrendered, always surrendered? What do you think? No. Doesn't, really, doesn't really click, does it? No. In fact, some, in some ways, maintaining our surrender is even more difficult than getting there in the first place. The good news is, is that while we are maintaining surrender, we're not doing it on our own power. We didn't come to Jesus in our own power. We're not going to stay there in our own power. Paul says, to this end I labor, struggling with all whose energy? What does it say? Yes. His energy. We are struggling. Yes, it's a struggle. But we are struggling with whose energy? His energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's the promise of God, that his energy will work powerfully in us. Entering the small gate of surrender is hard, and Jesus says, few there be that find it. So it's important that we surrender our lives to Jesus. Staying on that narrow way with him is also difficult. And so what we're going to talk about this afternoon are some practical things that uh, can help us to stay on that road. I'm going to share with you my surrender meltdown. Okay, it's not a pretty picture, but I'm going to share with you a little bit of my testimony. It is so easy for us just to settle, just for our passion for Christ to kind of just, you know, day by day, just a little bit, we lose it, we lose it, we lose it, we become from hot to lukewarm without even knowing it. And so we have to keep this surrender going. The reason that we have not more of the spirit and power of God with us is that we what? Feel. Feel. Too, let's read this all together, all the red part there. Too well satisfied with ourselves. With ourselves. She goes on to say, there is a marked tendency among those who are converted to the truth to make a certain measure of advancement and then settle down. I hate those words. Those words should, should cause terror in our hearts that we would settle down from this passion that God has given us into a state of stolidity where no further progress is attained. My friend, in some ways, time is on the devil's side because the devil doesn't care if we're surrendered as long as he can slowly get us out of it without us hardly even knowing it. Becoming surrendered is difficult. It can be one of the most challenging experiences of our life, but staying surrendered is also challenging. We must fight that settling. And the consequences of losing our surrender is pretty tragic. In fact, the Bible says that, uh, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, right? The last state has become worse for them than the first. So, staying surrendered is important. We don't want the, our last state to be worse than the first. The bad news is, is that when we die to self, self doesn't die. That's the bad news, sorry to say that. When we die to self, self doesn't die. It is relegated to the dungeons, it's taken off the throne of our life, it's relegated to the dungeons, but self doesn't die. It calls out to us, and guess what? By nature, we are attracted to self. We want self to be on the throne. We are addicted to selfish choices. 
by nature. And all we have to do for self to get back on the throne is to neglect to maintain that surrender that God has brought us to. Ellen White says that there are those who for a time are successful in the struggle against their selfish desire for pleasure and ease. They are sincere and earnest, but grow weary of protracted effort, of daily death, of ceaseless turmoil. Indolence seems inviting, death to self repulsive, and they close their drowsy eyes and fall under the power of temptation instead of resisting it. It's so easy for us to get to that place where we close our drowsy eyes. By God's grace, we need to fight that, that inclination. So I'm going to share with you my personal testimony. It's embarrassing, and it's not pretty, like I said, but I think it's important for me to, to share with you what happened to me so that uh, you can either take courage from it or you can learn from it to avoid the same mistake that I made. Four years, four years after my surrender to Jesus, I walked out of surrender. And I did it knowingly. I did it on purpose. And it was my own fault. I began to do something that the Bible explicitly warns us not to do. In Proverbs, we read, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, he miraculously transformed my life and gave me victory over many of the sins that I had that were besetting sins to me that I had not been able to get victory over. He gave me victory over all those. And I shared with, those, I shared with you last time some of those victories over food for me and movies, things like that. Um, I had many besetting sins and bad habits in my life, and God gave me the victory over them. But over time, I began to lose the, the, the joy of that victory. I began to lose the big picture. I began to think, you know, my fellow Adventist here is a Christian. He's a good person. He's watching movies all he wants. Doesn't hurt him. You know, he, this guy over here is eating pizza, and I love pizza. I'd love to go back and do that again, even though I know it's not healthy for me to do. So I began to envy sinners. I began to think, oh, wow, you know, these guys around me, they're all doing it. Why can't I do it? And uh, that is a very unhealthy place to get. I remember distinctly, this is a terrible story, I hate to share this, I was, I was in a conference in Seattle, Washington, and I was walking down the street on a walk between the convention, and there was this homeless guy sitting there on the side of the street, and um, I began to say, wow, what a life. And then you know what popped in my mind? You will not believe what popped into my mind. Well, at least he can watch movies if he wants to. Where in the world did that come from? You know, God had given me the victory over movies. I was happier without movies. Movies were life-stealing pleasures for me. Where did that come from? I began to envy sinners. And my friends, that is not a good idea. <laughs> it is a bad place to go. So over time, I had forgotten the miracle of transformation. I had lost my joy in what Jesus had done for me, little by little a little. It took four years for this to happen. I was actually living in a first-class Christian relationship with Jesus, and I began to look back in coach class and wonder what I was missing back there. Yeah, I know. That's the nature. That's sinful nature. I hope I'm not the only person in the world that has that problem. But anyway, so this is how it happened. This is how my downfall happened. It didn't happen all at once. There was this video game that I really liked to play. And uh, it was one of those things that I had given God when I gave him all my choices. I said, this video game is not really that harmful. It's not really that evil or anything. It just took a lot of time. And I began to realize that this time was better spent in other things. And I also realized that playing that video game made it harder for me to enjoy the Bible because the video game is exciting. 
but the, but the Bible is uh, more deeply satisfying, but not as exciting. And so when you have these stimulating things, it makes it harder to enjoy scripture. So I gave God that choice, and I began to uh, not play that game or any video game. And that was great. God was good. Well, there came a time when some um, relatives came to visit me. And they had children, and we had children, and we were wondering what we could do on Saturday night together. You know, something that would be fun for the whole family and get together, kind of a camaraderie, team-building experience, you know. And this game actually works perfect for that. This game is a multiplayer game. You can do it over the Internet together. You can all work together. It's really a cool game, except that I had given God this game for good reasons. He had taken it from me, and I was glad to give it to him. But now I said to myself, oh, well, you know, it's just a little thing. Um, it won't be that big of a problem. We'll just play it while they're here, you know. Uh, all these rationalizations. Well, when they left, I didn't stop playing. I kept on playing the game. And uh, my conscience really got me. Uh, and the, the more I played it, the more my conscience got me. And the more I, I fought that conscience, I, I began a very quick uh, slide down. You know, if I'm, if I'm already disobeying God in this, in this video game, I might as well eat the food that I'm, I want to enjoy, you know. And then that just led to something else and something led to something else. You open one little gate to the devil, and he's going to come in and undo all the good work that God has wanted to do in your life. If you leave a crack open for the devil, he will slither through, and he will get in, and he will try to destroy you. And guess what? Remember that wonderful verse I shared with you last time? Uh, Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. Guess what? Didn't work anymore. I tried to resist the devil. It didn't work. Why? What's the first part of that verse? Submit, therefore, to God. That was gone. I had stopped submitting. I had actually known, chosen bad choices in my life, and all of a sudden I was powerless. That's how it works. You must submit before you can resist the devil and have the devil flee from you. Well, God did not give up on me. And, you know, I didn't even give up on God. I knew that I was outside of surrender, but I wanted back in. I knew that I didn't really want it that bad enough yet. I was still enjoying my, my uh, game and my unhealthy food. But you know what? God kept working on me. God kept working on me. He made me unhappy and unsatisfied with my life. He, he, he helped me to begin to miss his goodness and his blessings. And there came a time when my craving for God became again greater than my craving for the world. And I resubmitted my life to Christ. And he got hold of me and he, he took good care of me. That's not the only surrender meltdown I've ever had. But, but they have happened a couple times. They're very rare. But we have to watch out for those. We have to watch out for those very carefully. Surrender requires constant upkeep. We cannot even step to the littlest bit on Satan's ground. There was once this uh, group of students who wanted to visit a coal mine, and they had this grisly old miner who was going to give them this uh, tour of this coal mine, and one of the girls wore this white dress, beautiful white dress, and she said, um, to the guy, to the coal miner, is it okay for me to wear this white dress down there? And he said this. He said, there's nothing to keep you from going down there with a white dress, but there's considerable to keep you from coming back with a white dress. You know, it's that way. When we step on the devil's ground, we may be pure, but there's nothing, there's no way we're going to come back pure. There's no way we're going to come back white. We're going to be tarnished by the devil's ground. It's the way it happens. We let down our guard to the devil. We go on his ground at all. We're not going to come back pure. 
I had a friend once who quit smoking. He was converted. He quit smoking. It was easy for him. Great. After a, a, a couple years or so, I don't remember how long it was, he was saying, man, this is so great. I don't, I don't even want to smoke anymore. Matter of fact, it's kind of sickening to, to, to even think about it. He said to himself, I wonder what it would be like if I tried to smoke again. 38 years later, he was still trying to quit again. We cannot, we cannot give the devil even an inch. My friends, I've talked about several temptations in my life and in my friend's life. What about you? Each one of you has this area in your life that the devil would love to get you to step over onto his ground. Consider what that is. Think about it. What is it that the devil's going to try to trip me up on? Because he will try. He's going to set up the perfect scenario to get you. And if you're not maintaining your surrender by some of the things we'll be talking about, if you're not staying close to the Savior, you're going to give in. Time can be our enemy. Do you remember this guy named King David? Wasn't he a wonderful guy? There is something that the Bible says about him. If you have your Bibles with me, with you, turn to Acts uh, 13. Oh, man, this is incredible. Acts 13. I would love if God could say something like this about me. Acts 13, verses 21 to 22. It says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified. This is God testifying. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do what? All my will. I have found David to be a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Wouldn't you love it if God said that about you? And yet, David became an adulterer and a murderer. After God said that, David became an adulterer and a murderer. He stole the man's wife and then he stole his life. What happened? How could a man after God's own heart do such a terrible thing? Well, it was an insidious, gradual letting go of God. We are told that when in ease and self-security, he let go his, gold, his hold upon God, David yielded to Satan and brought upon his soul the stain of guilt. My friends, the Christian life is like an airplane. By the way, kids, did you know? Did you know that airplanes are one of the few modes of transportation that can't go backwards? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, cars go backwards, trains go backwards, ships go backwards, airplanes don't go backwards, most of them. What would happen if an airplane tried to go backwards? Right? What would happen if an airplane started, stopped, tried to stop in midair? Right? It's like a brick, doesn't work. Airplanes have to go forward or they crash. It's the same way with the Christian life. Christians have to go forward or they crash. They have to keep on moving forward and upward or they crash. And that's something I wish I had understood a long time ago. We must also avoid the pit that David fell into. Let none feel that their way needs no changing. Those who decide thus are not fitted to engage in the work of God, for they will not feel the necessity of pressing constantly toward a higher standard. That doesn't sound easy, does it? Pressing constantly toward a higher standard, making continual improvement. None can walk safely unless they are distrustful of self and are constantly looking to the word of God, studying it with willing heart to see their own errors and to learn the will of God, the will of Christ, 
and praying that it may be done in and by and through them. This is God's will we're talking about. They show that their confidence is not in themselves, but in Christ. They hold the truth as a sacred treasure, able to sanctify and refine, and they are constantly seeking to bring their words and ways into harmony with its principles. They fear and tremble. I like the way she puts this. They fear and tremble lest something savoring of self will be idolized. They are always seeking to subdue self, to put away everything that savors of it, and to supply the place with the meekness and lowliness of Christ. My friends, whatever it takes, we must avoid letting ourselves sink into that pit of ease and self-security. We must have this healthy fear and trembling, lest anything savoring of self shall be idolized. No worldly desire, no craving for comfort, nothing must let us be separated from Jesus. No seemingly harmless entertainment, no cherished thought, nothing must be allowed to lull us into complacency. There needs to be a continual effort to not only maintain our surrender, but to grow in it all the time. So I'd like to share with you now five practical things that can help you in your life to maintain that surrender once God gets you to the point of surrendering yourself fully to him. Five powerful activities. The first one is to plead relentlessly with God. Remember, pleading with God was one of the ways that you got to surrender in the first place. Do you guys believe that God wants you to be surrendered to him? Yes. You gotta know he does, right? There's nothing he wants more than to be almighty in you and me. Why do we plead with God to give us something we already long for, what he already longs for? Why do we have to plead with God? The reason is because the more we ask for it, the more we want it. God isn't trying to, we're not trying to convince God, he's trying to convince us. I mean, we're asking him for it, but he needs to really get us to the place where we really want it. So that it comes to the point where we want it worse, we want it more than we want our selfish nature, and then God will give, can give us victory over it. So number two, seek healthy paranoia. Did you know that it is okay to be paranoid if the world really is out to get you? <laughs> it is. My friends, the devil goes around like a what? Roaring lion. Roaring lion. He is out to get you. Be paranoid. It's okay to be paranoid. The world and the devil really are out to get you. Hollywood, they make all these great movies. They make you feel good. They're out to get you. They're out to make money. They're not out to help you. Have you ever walked into a grocery store and looked at all the colorful, inviting packages and realized that probably 80% of that food is not fit for human consumption? Have you ever thought about that? You know, the devil's trying to get us to, to buy all these unhealthy things. Matter of fact, did you know that our economy depends on us buying unhealthy things? <laughs> That's how our economy works. We need to have this constant godly tension with the world. This constant godly tension that is pulling us away from the world and pulling us towards Jesus. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Paul says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, this is Paul talking, this is practical here, you guys. 
Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul here is talking about intentional growth, intentional self-denial to keep self under control. That's number two. Number three, avoid rationalization. Do you guys know what rationalization, kids, you guys know what that big word means, rationalization? It means trying to make our will into God's will. Trying to convince ourselves that the way we want to do things is God's will. That's what rationalization is. And uh, we are told that the reason many in this age of the world make no greater advancement in the divine life is because they interpret the will of God to be just what they want to do. While following their own desires, they flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. These have no conflicts with self. My friends, that's a bad place to be. That's a very sad place to be, to have no conflicts with self. Um, Benjamin Franklin, you guys will love this story. Benjamin Franklin tells this story about uh, one time when he rationalized. And he writes it like this. He said, in my first voyage from Boston, they were in a, a sailing boat. Back then, they didn't have those uh, big ships with the engines and the steam and all that kind of stuff. This was a sailing ship. They were becalmed off the block island, which means they had no wind in their sails. So they were just sitting there. Our people set about catching cod and hauled up a great many. Hitherto, I had stuck to my resolution of not eating animal food. And on this occasion, I considered, my, I considered with my master Tryon the taking of every fish as a kind of unprovoked murder since none of them had or ever could do us any injury that might justify the slaughter. Okay, so here was a guy who had this conviction that he was not going to eat fish because he didn't think that it was justifiable to slaughter them. Okay, we may agree, we may not, but the idea is still the same. He had this conviction. So guess what happened? All this seemed very reasonable, but I had formerly been a great lover of fish. Okay, this is where self starts coming in, right? And when this came hot out of the frying pan, it smelt admirably well. That's a, <laughs> a nice, uh, uh, nice way of saying it. I balanced some time between principle and inclination till I recollected that when the fish were opened, I saw smaller fish taken out of their stomachs. Then thought I, if you eat one another, I don't see any reason why I might not eat you. <laughs> so I dined upon card, a cod very heartily and continue to eat with other people, returning only now and then, occasionally, to a vegetable diet. Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> this was his story of rationalization. You gotta, you gotta sympathize with the poor guy. I mean, you know, they're hungry. They're sitting there not doing anything. They got this wonderful source of food. It's tempting him. He wants to find a reason why he can give in, and he does. But that's not the best part. This is what he says after this. He says this. So convenient a thing it is to be a reasonable creature, since it enables one to find or make a reason for everything one has a mind to do. Isn't that true? We are reasonable creatures, and we can, if we try hard enough, find a reason to do what we want to do. I once heard a story, it was probably fictitious, but it was such a good story, I have to share it. This guy wanted to lose weight. He asked the Lord if it was his will to eat donuts, because he loved to eat donuts. And so he said to the Lord, if you don't want me to eat donuts, then don't let there be any parking spaces at the donut shop when I drive by on my way to work. Guess what? It turns out God did want him to eat donuts. Because every time he went by that shop, there was a parking spot. Miraculously, there was a parking spot. Now, sometimes he had to drive around the block, the block 15 or 20 minutes, but he always found a parking slot. Right? He was able to find a way 
to rationalize his way to eat those donuts. It's the same with the Christian life. So, plead relentlessly with God. Angel wrestling prayer. Don't let God go until he blesses you. Be paranoid of the world and the devil because they are out to get you. And avoid trying to make what you want to do God's will. Rationalization. The fourth thing is practice self-denial. Self-denial is a great uh, privilege. Uh, and we're going to be talking more about it in our next presentation. But self-denial keeps us from this settling thing. You know, it's so easy for us to settle over time, but self-denial gives us practice, practical application in this self-denial, keeping self, you know, under control by God's power. Um, in our diet, by the way, we have built-in self-denial. Did you know that? Yeah, we'll talk more about that later. But the best self-denial is self-denial for the good of others. Lay aside the heavy burdens of worldly care and perplexity and take his yoke, which is self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others. Did you ever wonder what Christ's yoke is? It's self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others. One reason for my, uh, okay, so that was number four, the self-denial. We'll talk more about that, like I said, in the next presentation. But the fifth thing that we can do, practical thing that we can do, is to praise God. One reason for my surrender meltdown was that I had begun to, forgot, to forget what God had done for me. I had started to lose sight of the miracle of transformation that God had performed in my life. And that's because I was not spending enough time praising him. Praise God. Praise him in your prayers. Praise him in your singing. Praise him all you can. Remember what he has done. Remember what he is doing because praise can help keep us from settling. Sometimes it's easy for us as humans to say, the grass is always greener where? On the other side of the fence. You know where the grass is greenest for the surrendered Christian? Right where they are. For the surrendered Christian, right where God has put them is where the grass is greenest. You can depend on that. I was neck deep in the greenest grass around and I was looking for other green grass and that was made no sense. So practice praise. Spend quality and quantity time praising God every day. So, maintaining surrender is not easy. It's our natural tendency to, to, to settle. And like an airplane, we can't. We have to keep on going forward, otherwise we will, we will crash. This is not a comprehensive list of ways to keep from settling, but it's a good start. Plead with God relentlessly. Seek healthy paranoia. Avoid rationalization. Practice godly self-denial. Practice praise. These are all ways, and there are others, and I hope that you are creative in finding these ways that we can practice, uh, that we can keep from settling and maintain this love relationship with Jesus. Each of us has our own way of struggling with this. This was my personal story. You may have a completely different story, but the devil will get us any way we can, and Jesus will keep us any way he can. All we have to do is let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can become surrendered to you and that we can let you be almighty God in our life. And thank you, Father, that you can keep us that way, that you can keep us abiding with you in the center of your will. There's no better place to be. Thank you so much, Father, for that blessing. We pray that you will teach us how to do that and that you will help us to become experts at maintaining surrender. Through your grace, through your power, through your wisdom, we thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.